Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. As I begin my sermon, what I wanted to do, and we talked about this as a pastoral team, is we would like to pray over and pray a blessing over anyone who's involved as a faculty member or an administrator uh, as far as faculty, staff, admin, in any educational institution or a coach. So if that's you, we wanted to pray a special blessing over you. We had a bunch of people outdoors this morning that stood and we were able to pray over them. What we're really aware of is we're stepping into a kind of a strange season as far as education goes. And every year we pray over the, the admin, the faculty, and the teachers. So are there any here in the sanctuary that that's what you do? That's your calling. I'm going to ask you to stand. Do we have anyone here? At least, oh, there we go. Anyone else? Please stand. Don't be shy. Anyone else? People are slowly admitting that this is what they do for a living. So, by the way, if you're worshiping online with us as well, I encourage you to maybe stand where you're at or please be open to receiving the blessing that we're going to pray together. Let's all pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we're mindful of the fact that this is an extremely unique season for people to be involved in our educational systems. So Lord, we pause now to pray a blessing over our brothers and sisters who are called to do this. And it's gotta be the most stressful, confusing, uncertain season. But Lord, in the midst of this, we pray for your strength. We pray for your peace. We pray for your goodness to cover each and every one of them. Lord, we do ask if there's fear that in the place of that, that you'd put a calmness and a peace that comes from you. Lord, very unashamedly, we also pray a hedge of protection around each one of these people, that you would protect them, that you would keep them, and they'd be able through health to be able to serve you in the calling in the educational system. Lord, thank you again for each one of these. Please bless them and cover them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When I was a teenager in 1981 and 1982, I had a youth pastor, and his name was Nicky Camarada. Nicky now pastors a church up in New England. But when he was my pastor, he was probably a believer for four years. He had chosen to follow Jesus. Not long after he chose to follow Jesus, he felt a call into full-time ministry, and so he was pursuing that, and he was being trained to be a full-time pastor. And again, during that season of his life, he was my youth pastor. Now, Nikki was unique. I'll tell you why. Nikki grew up in a home where his dad, his name was Nikki Camerata, Italian family. They lived in the Italian burg of Trenton, and his father was in the mob. Well, he also was part of an Italian gang that ran the streets of Trenton. And so when I was a youth in his youth group, they were some of the most fascinating sermons I ever heard in my life. Because I kid you not, almost every sermon had a mafia story, him acting out a street fight that he had been part of in Trenton and Jesus. Literally. And believe me, when you're a teenager, 
seeing the Godfather become real on stage in front of you, and then street fights, and Jesus added in, our youth group grew extremely rapidly, and people came to Jesus. It was incredible. Now, the thing of it was, was that people wanted to listen to Nikki for this reason. He was passionate about Jesus. He was passionate about God. And here's why. During some of his street fighting days where he was aimless and purposeless, someone preached the gospel to the gang that he was in, and a chunk of them came to faith in Jesus. Not only did they come to Jesus, but their parents did as well. And I actually worshiped with some of their parents, all of whom who'd lived the mob lifestyle for years, and all of them through Jesus found a new way to live. And so Nikki was passionate about Jesus. So in the midst of mafia stories and street fights being acted out live in youth group and Jesus, it was awesome. But you see, he was passionate about God. That's why people wanted to listen to him. There's another person that was involved in my life that people wanted to listen to. His name was Dr. Bob Roden. Dr. Bob Roden was involved in the denomination, and when I was called to be the lead pastor here at City Church, he was the one that was involved as interiming this church. So he knew a lot about the church. And after God confirmed my calling and I was voted in as the pastor, I met with Dr. Bob. And when I met with Bob Roden, he said this to me, he said, Pete, there's three things you need to do as the new pastor. I'm not going to tell you what they are. But he told me there are three things and you need to do them because he knew the church well. Here's my full admission. I did two out of the three. The third one, I did not, let me put it this way, I was not secure enough as the lead pastor of city to do what needed to be done. And because of that, I paid a heavy price for a couple of years because I didn't do what he had encouraged me to do. Listen, people listened to Dr. Bob Roden and they still do because he has incredible wisdom. He's a man of wisdom. He can step into a context, he can step into a situation, and he can read it well, and he knows what needs to be done. Then there's a third person that's been involved in my development as a follower of Jesus. And the third one is someone I met during my doctoral program, and his name was Dr. Mel Ming. Heard a lot about him. I'd never met him, but heard a lot about him. And I had heard that, Pete, once you sit in his class, you're gonna take every single class he teaches. And they were right. But what shocked me is when I stepped into his class. I came in and he would admit all of this readily, so none of this are tales out of school. He was phenomenally unhealthy. And he would joke about it in class. As a matter of fact, when I came in, I look, I usually get there early and I sit in the back. How many of you like to sit in the back? Never sit up front. Sorry, guys. I always sat in the back. He came in, he sat on the desk, and there were two big gulps he put down next to him. You know what a big gulp is? He drank both in a two-hour lecture. Set them next to himself. The other thing I noticed was he could care less how he dressed. Now, that's not abnormal for academic people. But I remember sitting there, and I'm looking at this guy, two big gulps. He's very unhealthy, totally disheveled. And I'm looking at the guy, and I'm thinking, ugh, I just, he's not even. And then he began to talk. And I watched in this room 
is the doctoral students and myself within five minutes. Many of them are for-profit leaders, many are non-profit leaders, and I watch within five minutes, every doctoral student was leaning in and we were focused on Mel for two hours. And every class was like that. And the reason why, he had mastered the leadership world. He knew more about leadership science than anyone I've ever met. I took every course in leadership that he taught. People wanted to listen to Mel. You want to know why? He knew his material. He had mastered the world of leadership. Three people in my life. One of them, people loved to listen to. They wanted to listen to because he was passionate about God. Another guy people wanted to listen to because he was filled with wisdom. And the third person, everyone wanted to listen to Mel Ming because he had mastered that world, and that's the world we needed to learn about. And yet what's incredible is, is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the scriptures tell us that people were that way with Jesus. Jesus was passionate about God. It's amazing. Not only that, Jesus was filled with wisdom. Not only that, Jesus had mastered the Torah, the Older Testament, and when he taught, here's what the scripture says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter five, six, and seven, we preached through all of them. At the very end, after Jesus' last word, here's what it says in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There was something unique about Jesus when he opened up the Older Testament and explained it to you, and that's what he does through the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus did that, people wanted to hear from him. There was something unique. They called it authority. Authority. Was Jesus passionate about God? Absolutely. Was Jesus filled with wisdom? Absolutely. Had Jesus mastered the subject of the Torah, the Older Testament? Absolutely. But there was something else too. It was an authority. And when Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 close, that's what the crowd said about Jesus. What we're going to do now is we're going to read what was just prior to them saying what they said about him. We're going to read more scripture than we normally do, but I want us to all read it together. And if you have your mobile phone or a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and following. Again, a little more text than normal. Here's what the gospel says. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, 
And a bad tree cannot bear, I'm sorry, and bear, I'm sorry, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every time, or every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, by the way in scripture, that day is an Old Testament phrase for the judgment of God. But many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the, storm, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. What amazes me about the Sermon on the Mount, and if you've been here through all of the sermons, you know we began with the blesseds, the Beatitudes. And at the beginning, what we read about was how blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are these types of people, blessed are the meek, blessed are the people who aren't winning in the world. They're part of the kingdom of God. And what we learned was that at the end of Matthew chapter 5, we know who's in the crowd, pagans. Gentiles, non-Jews, the type of people that normally don't look for God. There they are in the crowd because of Jesus. And so he begins with this incredible beatitude, this series of blessings where we learn that people you think out are in, that God's love, grace, and mercy are wide. Now at the end, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about a narrow gate and a narrow road. God's love, God's mercy, God's grace is now coming down in a narrow laser focus and it's found at a narrow gate. And past the narrow gate is a narrow road. What does Jesus mean? Notice in the text what Jesus says is enter through the narrow gate Matthew 7, 13 to 14, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Well, as I've taught through this, I've let us know that in the Sermon on the Mount, there aren't ad hoc stories. There's literally linkage between everything Jesus is saying. What I preached on last Sunday and is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he says this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door 
will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus goes from saying that to talking about a narrow gate and a narrow road. Here's what Jesus means. That his kingdom is something you must ask for, seek, and when you come to the door, you must knock for yourself. You see, in Jesus' day, and I've been to Jerusalem many times, there are wide roads, and the main gates of Jerusalem are wide. Many people can go in and out. But during seasons where there might be enemies in the land, the wide gates become narrow gates. They're closed off. There's a single person door that would have been left. But not only that, around the wall of Jerusalem, and you can see different spots, and you'll see this in the ruins all over Israel, that there's wide gates where you enter the city, but the fortified wall also had narrow gates. And the reason why was only one person at a time can come in. And what Jesus is teaching us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is this. That if the crowd is moving and they're heading in a direction, and we must catch this, that the crowd that's moving in a specific direction without asking, seeking, and knocking, they will walk through the narrow gate or the wide gate. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to ask, seek, or knock. You just go with the flow. What Jesus is saying is the way his kingdom works is you must come to the gate that's narrow and stand there for yourself. For yourself. Why is this important? Well, because for many of us, we have a friend whose faith has caused us to be interested in faith. Some of us were raised in Christian homes. Some of us have a grandmother, maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend. We've got family members, or maybe it's your friend group. They've all stood at the gate that's narrow. They've made a personal decision for themselves. Jesus says the wide gate isn't where you find the kingdom of heaven. You find the kingdom of heaven at the narrow gate, and it's absolutely clear he's speaking of himself. That all of God's love and grace and mercy that we find at the outset of the Sermon on the Mount now finds itself in Jesus as the narrow gate. Here's what I've learned after 30 years of dealing with college students and pastoring them that many college students have what I call a college conversion. It's where mom and dad's faith, or maybe their lack of faith, is brought to the gate, the narrow gate that is Jesus, and students stand there for themselves. Mom and dad aren't there. The grandmother that's prayed for you isn't there. You stand all by yourself, and you look at the gate, and you ask, You seek and you knock. And when you knock, Jesus says the door will be opened. It'll be opened to you. But what fascinates me is that it's not that just Jesus is the narrow gate, but the road past it is narrow as well. In other words, when we walk through the narrow gate, we walk into discipleship with Jesus, but the road on the other side of the narrow gate is narrow as well. 
You have to think about it when you're on the narrow road. When I've been in Israel, my wife and I have taken some hikes. The worst one that I ever took, she didn't take. She rolled the gondola to the top. And I, being full of myself, decided I was going to hike it. It was up to Masada, the mountain where King Herod had his summer palace. I remember walking up. You talk about narrow. Not only that, you had to be careful. The wide road, you don't have to think about. The narrow road, you have to be aware where you put every step. Jesus is saying that discipleship in him begins at a narrow gate. That narrow gate doesn't suddenly just become wide again and you do whatever you want, however you want. No, that's what the people on the wide road do. In Christ, we are called to discipleship and it's thoughtful, it's introspective. We think about where we're putting our feet because we're following Jesus. What's interesting to me is that right after talking about the narrow gate and the narrow road, Jesus warns us about different type of teachers and teachings. That there are many who will freely talk about the grace and the love and the mercy of God, but they will never talk about what does it look like after you follow Jesus. That's all found in him. But he is a narrow gate. And Jesus is absolutely clear that there are those who will follow up to a point, but then there'll be a different type of teaching and there will be false prophets and false teachers who will not talk about the cost of discipleship and that it it is a narrow road. Reading on, the scripture tells us as we pick up our reading and we reread it from verse 21, there are also true and false disciples. Here's what Jesus says. This fascinates me no end. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Man, when I read that paragraph, I think to myself, I better know what that means. I better get this down. But I want you to notice that in this text, The people that don't know Jesus are solely focused on experience, the dramatic, and the supernatural. It's all they focus on. Notice what they say to Jesus. They do not say, we entered through the narrow gate. We were thoughtful. We walked the narrow path. What they talk about is driving out demons, prophesying, and then performing many miracles. And I want to be absolutely clear about this. I am what is called a functioning Pentecostal. I've seen demons cast out of people. I've observed miracles. I've seen the gifts of the Holy Spirit in full-on function. But here's what I want to tell you. That is not what your faith is based on. Our faith is based on the person of Jesus and daily following him on the narrow path. But notice to what they point to. It's the dramatic. It's the supernatural. It's that kind of stuff. 
And at times in my own spiritual journey, I've come across people that all they want to talk about is the supernatural. When's the next healing? When's the next this? When's the next that? Be careful. Those things are real, but they're not the center of our faith in Jesus. The gospel is. We pray for those things. We look for those things. But notice what the false disciples lean on. You see, being a follower of Jesus is about stepping to the narrow gate, knocking, he opens the door, he lets us in, and then we walk the narrow path. We're accountable to him. Not only that, we read the Sermon on the Mount and we commit to living it every single day because it brings to us the vision of his kingdom. When we look at the readings that we've done, we now simply need to put feet to our faith. Jesus speaks about someone who builds their house on the sand. And then there's a wise builder who builds their house on the rock. Let's read it together, beginning in verse 24. Jesus says this, Therefore, anyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Puts them into practice. You don't just read the Sermon on the Mount and go, isn't that awesome, and then walk away. Jesus says that you come to the narrow gate, which is him. You step through the narrow gate, and you walk a narrow path, which is built upon the Sermon on the Mount. Again, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus' last parable would have scared everyone to death. Because in the ancient world, there wasn't homeowner's insurance. If you lost your house, you lost everything. And here we discover Jesus looks at our walks with him and says it's like building a house. Our spiritual lives are a spiritual house. And Jesus says, make sure you build on him upon the rock. In many ways, these past six months have been fascinating. There have been several people that have confessed to me that their faith prior to COVID was shallow. It was self-serving. It was weak. And it was more about the American dream than Jesus. That's the wide road. But in the midst of COVID, they've been shaken. They felt their house move and it scared them. What they had been trusting in was now moving. It wasn't stationary. And so what they've done is they've looked at the narrow gate and they've recommitted their lives to him. And they've looked at the narrow path and they've chose to walk it out. Because again, Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Puts them into practice is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. Let's stand together as we close.
as we close out our time and we close out the Sermon on the Mount, we end with a very dramatic parable that Jesus brings to us. It's one that speaks of the entirety of life. It's about who we are. It's about the house we're building. Jesus calls us to be a group of men and women who come to the narrow gate alone. The wide gate, everyone's pouring in that direction. The narrow gate is one you come to alone and the gate is him. And the path beyond it is narrow too. And as we stand before Jesus, I want to ask a simple question. Have you come to the gate, the narrow one? You have probably passed through the wide gate uncountable times. But now, you find yourself at the narrow gate. And there is Jesus. And Jesus says, we seek, we ask, we knock alone. No one can knock for you. It's a narrow gate. We pass through it alone to him. If you're here and you know that the Spirit of God is calling you to commit your life to being a follower of Jesus, if that's where you're at, I want you to pray this prayer with me as we close. For those of you that have already come to the narrow gate, while I'm praying with other people online as well as in the sanctuary, if you've come to the narrow gate, but you know you've not been walking the narrow road, take a few moments to pray and ask Jesus to bring you back to the narrow road, the road of discipleship, of being careful, and of following him. Let's pray together. For those of us that find ourselves at the narrow gate, a prayer to accept Jesus goes something like this. Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about who you are. But Jesus, what I do know is that I have walked the wide path. I've been on the wide road where I didn't think about much. I just kind of did what everyone else is doing, what's popular, what's cultural. And Jesus, now I find that you're calling me to the narrow gate. And here I stand. Jesus, in this moment, I ask that you would forgive me for the things I've done on the broad path on the broad road, that you would cleanse me, that you would forgive me. And Jesus, as I stand at this narrow gate, I ask that you would receive me just as I am, that with your vastless love, grace, and mercy, you would forgive me, you would cleanse me. Jesus, now as I step through the narrow gate, I pray that I would step onto the narrow path, the narrow road and that I would follow you every day that you would lead me and I would follow you Lord help me to be a disciple of yours in Jesus name in Christ's name amen amen and amen